Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, December 12th, we are studying the hymn, When All the World Was Cursed. That's number 346 in Lutheran's service book. Don't be scared away by the title of this hymn, because this hymn is full of great comfort, as we are reminded of the work of St. John the Baptist, who pointed us to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Rick Jones. Pastor Jones serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Absolutely. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Pastor Apple. So we get started this morning, Pastor Jones. Let's talk a little bit about the season of Advent. Yesterday was the third Sunday in Advent. We lit the pink candle. The color is for joy. Gaudete, rejoice. Tell us a little bit about the season of Advent and its importance in the church year and for the life of the Christian. Sure. So Advent season of anticipation, right? We are waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, um, the advent of the Lord, if you will, where we get all the words from. Uh, four different weeks with the candles there, meaning four different themes of that anticipation, the fulfillment of prophecy. So the hope that that brings um, once that prophecy is fulfilled, it brings us great peace, knowing that God is with us. That is the second week. And then what that means for our lives absolutely makes abundant joy. It means we are saved. It means we are redeemed. It means the Lord's love is manifest. And that love is the, the final week of Advent, preparing us for the arrival of the long-awaited Christ child, and then we enter the season of Christmas. It's a it's a wonderful time of year, not just because sort of the whole world seems to be in celebration and anticipation might not be for the same reasons that Christians are. But that um, season uh, of joy, of festivity seems to be everywhere. And it's a, a great time to be able to celebrate that coming light that is the Christ. Yeah, so it is the most wonderful time of the year for, for true reasons, as we will get to discuss today as we look at this wonderful Advent hymn. What's your favorite yeah. Advent hymn, Pastor Jones? Uh, it's probably O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Why is that? Uh, you know, the, the message in it is just really great. I love that line about ransoming captive Israel. Yeah. Um, just very poetic in my mind. I, I like what that means for us. Captive to sin, but we are ransomed by this promised one, this child that is that has been waited for and longed for. And now we get to see his arrival. Uh, and I like sort of it has kind of a sad feeling. I don't know why, but the minor chords in it, I guess. I just, I like that um, as we are in the physical darkness this time of year where, where I live. Uh, it, 
it, it still allows us to understand we have an underlying hope and underlying joy, regardless of what the outside world might look like or feel like. Yeah, the, I, I, what, I appreciate what you say about the music there, really matching the text. And I think you're right, the, the minor chords uh, just has that Advent. It, it feels like Advent. It sounds like Advent, which is a, a hopeful, an expectation, and, and yet joy. And that that's certainly there in the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So, dear listener, if you have a favorite Advent hymn, please let us know. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you and let us know what your favorite Advent hymn is. Now, Pastor John, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised because last week, one of our guests said that this hymn that we are looking at today is actually his favorite Advent hymn. He's he's a, a pastor, of course, and, and he said that the example that he finds in John the Baptist, he finds very helpful as he thinks about his role as a pastor. So I appreciated that. Huh, Although, I, yeah. again, I was surprised because I don't yeah. think anybody had ever told me this was their favorite Advent hymn before. And, and I, I told him, I said, maybe it's because of the title. I, I think the title maybe frightens <laughs> some people away, you know, when all the world was cursed. Uh, but it really is a fantastic hymn. So as we prepare to look at it, any introductory remarks on the on the hymn as a whole, its history, background, what we're going to be looking at in this text overall? Sure. Well, and, and I suppose if I'm being completely honest, I don't know that I had ever even sung this hymn before. Um, I was asked to be on the show. I'm like, okay, I better, I better look at it. Um, but you're right. Uh, while it might not be uh, the most inviting from the title, the, the message is very, very hopeful. It's it's very, very Advent centric while giving it through that lens of John the Baptist. So uh, to get to that context for it, um, it's a mid 17th century hymn. Uh, it was originally for use for a celebration of the nativity of St. John the Baptist, which is actually supposed to be June 24th. So we have it at the opposite side of the year as Advent, but because that day is not celebrated very often, uh, it got placed in Advent, the Advent section for Lutheran service book uh, and previous hymnals as well. And it's recommended that we use with Advent 2 and 3, so those ideas of the peace and the joy, uh, if we're on the, the three-year series. And then for the one-year series, uh, they put it for three or four, not necessarily for those themes, but to match up with the texts, uh, the gospel texts that deal with John the Baptist. Um, and I think that, that that's great. The sentiment of the, the nativity of John the Baptist is an interesting context, and it, it gives us a lot to prepare for the coming of, of the Lord as we have the, the coming of the one that's going to prepare the way. Um, and we do a lot with John, but we don't seem to put a special commemoration for him. I actually looked through the LCMT has some commemoration days, and we don't even have one for, for John the Baptist, which I thought was kind of interesting. But uh, his whole life prepares us for for the for the coming Lord, and so Advent is a great place for this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I have my my Luth the Lutheran hymnal TLH with me as well, and it's yeah, yeah. this hymn is number two hundred seventy two in the Lutheran hymnal, which is you said it's, is that's not actually the Advent section. The Advent section oh, good. Came much okay. earlier. And it's, it's listed as St. John the Baptist is the, the section. And, of course, that's the only one in there. But it's in the midst of other, 
other festivals. So there's like a St. Andrew hymn, a St. John the Apostle, one for the oh, Holy sure. Innocence, okay. one for the Annunciation and Visitation. And then in the middle of it, you have the St. John the Baptist, the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, which, as you said, is is observed on the calendar is June 24th. And if you think just a little bit about, you know, the narrative that you get in Luke chapter 1, June 24th, that's six months before Christmas, John the yep. Baptist, we know, is six months older than Jesus. Yep. So that's, you know, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, perhaps Absolutely. the reason that you didn't, you didn't find the commemoration of, of John the Baptist is because he has a couple of other feast and festival days. And now I'm going to have to look for him now that I'm telling you that. Let's see. So his, his martyrdom is on yeah. August 29th is the date in the church year that you celebrate the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. And I thought there was another one and i'm not finding it right now there's the nativity there's the martyrdom in august if i find it later and I, i'm not saying but yeah so we've got a couple of days on our calendar yeah. for john the yeah. baptist yeah i just thought it was interesting that when we're putting together the commemorations themselves uh we didn't set him apart but you're right he does have uh some feasts and festivals but again we don't we don't celebrate those very often uh maybe yeah, and, and, land on a sunday we we will but that seems to be about it that's right. You know, and maybe and maybe it's because they they come during that season of Pentecost. And so it's sometimes you just kind of forget about those feasts and festivals. But that's a, a good opportunity, a reminder for us as yeah. Christians that in that long season where the color is green, there are church festivals that, that can be observed. And even if your church doesn't observe them on a Sunday because maybe they fall during the middle of the week, that's certainly an opportunity for you to pull out your hymnal, use it as a devotional tool, and, and recognize that there's even hymns for, for many of these. Again, if it's not labeled as such in Lutheran service book, check out one of the older hymnals. Sometimes it is. Yep. And again, here we've got one for, for St. John the Baptist, particularly his nativity, although I, I think you could use it at, at another occasion as well. And it is oh, a reminder... I think it's a reminder that John the Baptist does play a very prominent role in salvation history. It's it's kind of, it's hard to overstate where he stands uh, in his role of you know, as as Jesus said. This is what we heard in the gospel reading yesterday from Matthew eleven that there's no one greater than John the Baptist in the kingdom of heaven, and yet the one who's who's least is greater than he. So he he's a really important yeah. figure. It's right that we have a lot of hymns that that mention him at least, and here's one that really focuses on his work. Yeah. All right, so we are going to look at the hymn, When All the World Was Cursed. That's number 346 in Lutheran service book. There is, you mentioned to Pastor Jones in your notes that you sent to me, there's a fourth stanza that yeah. is included in TLH and Lutheran worship, both that got omitted from Lutheran service book. Yeah, so I, I was, uh, a pastor friend was kind enough to, to let me borrow his companion to the, the hymns. And uh, in there, they said they, they removed that fourth stanza uh, to try to save some space to make sure the hymn would fit on one page. Um, and the content of that, that stanza doesn't add necessarily anything vital to the content of the hymn. Um, I mean, it's still, the, the, it fits the same poetics and things like that. But yeah, it's not necessarily needed. Um, I mean, if you'll humor me, we can read it here. Uh, well, sure. So it, it occurs, okay. at least if you're looking in Lutheran service book, this stanza yep. occurs between what is three and four in Lutheran service book. I'll go ahead and, and yeah. read it if you want. Oh, okay, go ahead. It goes like this. Thrice blessed everyone who heeds the proclamation, which John the Baptist brought, accepting Christ's salvation. He who believes this truth and comes with love unfeigned has righteousness and peace in fullest measure gained. That's the 
that's the stanza that is in TLH 272. It's also in Lutheran worship. I just don't have that one in front of me right now. So yeah, yeah. yeah looking at that, I mean, I, I find it uh, helpful. It seems like it's talking a lot about, it's talking about baptism, that thrice, thrice yeah. blessed everyone who heeds the proclamation. So those who are baptized and believe, that seems to be what's, what's being hinted at in that stanza. And yet, as you said, without it in Lutheran service book, the hymn's still pretty complete. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I know it's, I think, uh, alluding to baptism there is, is, is a great, great insight. And then, uh, what that results in, right. That last line there, the righteousness and peace in fullest measure gained. That's, uh, what our identity as a baptized child of God is supposed to provide for us that, that peace. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it fits along with John's message. Obviously it fits along with what the, the hymn is doing as a whole, uh, but doesn't, necessarily supply something that is lacking otherwise because we still get an allusion to sanctified life in the 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 version in lsb yeah that's right especially in that forest stanza which we'll see so we are going to look at number 346 in lutheran service book when all the world was cursed here is stanza one when all the world was cursed by moses condemnation saint john the baptist came with words of consolation with true forerunner zeal the greater one he named and him, as yet unknown, a savior he proclaimed. That is stanza one of When All the World Was Cursed. So, Pastor Jones, again, that title, you know, the hymns have the title of the first line. And so, When All the World Was Cursed, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <laughs> what this hymn gets called. Uh, take us into that that first line, When All the World Was Cursed by Moses' Condemnation. Yeah, I thought um, it's a very striking first line. Uh, and you almost immediately, I, I was presented with questions. Okay, well... Okay, when we talk about the world being cursed, do we automatically think of Moses? And I, I don't know. I almost have to do a few moves to get to Moses. Um, I, I initially think of of that idea of the world being cursed because of Adam, right? That's Adam's uh, consequence when he and Eve first rebel and eat the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When God is dishing out the consequences, the, the consequence for Adam specifically is that the whole earth is cursed because of him. Um, and so I, I go to Adam. And so what, why is Moses the one that's mentioned here? And I, I guess it could be for a couple of reasons. Maybe it's just an allusion to Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, right? So he's the one that penned Genesis and, and, and um, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, um, and Leviticus. But it might be a, a bigger reason too. We see Moses connected as sort of a a cipher for the totality of the law. Moses himself considered the lawgiver. He's the one that brings Israel the Ten Commandments. He's the one that brings God's people his instruction, um, and so he gets he gets sort of to be the, the, the law represented as the singular person until we get the fulfillment in Christ and all that. But um, we even see him, you know, alluded to this way in, in the New Testament. It says all of Moses and the prophets. And then um, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Moses and Elijah there. And Moses is the representation of the law. And Elijah is the representation of the prophets. The idea that all of the Old Testament in its totality confessed to who Christ is. They point to Christ. Moses here 
could possibly, and his condemnation, I, I guess, being that idea that we all stand guilty before the law and Moses is the one that brings that law. And so he is, it's his condemnation. That's kind of, I think, where I, I settle on it. But uh, yeah. like I said, I got to kind of do a couple of moves to get there. I think I think you're right that that's what's going on with that Moses here is standing as the lawgiver, the one who's I mean, that's just what he's known for, which is yeah. it's kind of ironic within this hymn because sometimes Moses gets a bad rap as being the lawgiver. <laughs> you forget that he proclaimed the gospel, which, yes. which this hymn is we're going to see does a great job of reminding us that John sometimes all we think about with him is that he's a, a lawgiver or a preacher of repentance yeah, and, and yeah. condemnation, but he's a, a preacher of consolation. So it's kind of ironic that Moses tends to stand in that place. But I, I do think that that's what's going on when all the world was cursed by Moses. Condemnation means all the world was cursed under the law. Uh, and according to like what it says in Genesis chapter, not Genesis, Galatians chapter three, uh, verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is yeah. written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And I think, you know, that that verse probably stands behind what's in this first line. And Moses fits poetically there more than the law does, you know, by by the yeah. law's condemnation just doesn't have the same meter as Moses' condemnation. So Moses is often associated with the lawgiver. So it's it's his law that he wrote, or he you know God's law. He wrote it down, and he is associated then with that ministry of condemnation, and, and I think that's probably what's going on there. So yeah, I mean, all of what you said is, is very helpful too. I mean, the the role of Adam. You think Romans chapter five? Certainly, that's that's in the background. Moses kind of gets singled out here uh, as the lawgiver, yeah. though. Yeah. So okay, any any more on that line, Pastor Jones? Uh, no, I just, it's, it's again, a, a, a stark opening and yeah, immediately right. brings absolutely everybody into what the hymn's going to be about, though, too, right? Because the whole world, right? All yeah. the world is cursed under this condemnation, which I think is, is great because it sets us up to be a part of what the, the rest of the, the hymn is going to tell us. Okay, yeah, we, yeah. we have this problem. It's already setting up the law gospel sort of dynamic here. Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic, especially when you think about what, what we're going to hear John proclaim, to know that all the world is cursed. That yep. means that all the world is going to need the news that John's going to preach, which is is where the hymn then goes. So yeah. when all the world was cursed by Moses' condemnation, St. John the Baptist came with words of consolation. And again, this is this is one reason why the hymn is memorable for me. I think one of the first times I sang this hymn, or at least I remember singing this hymn, was at a, a circuit pastor's meeting. And it was a congregation that used TLH. And so we pulled out TLH 272. And I was like, huh, we're in the St. John the Baptist section. And, <laughs> and the pastor in his sermon actually pointed out this very line that St. John the Baptist is called the preacher of consolation. And we normally, or at least I know I usually kind of give him the reputation of, I mean, I remember talking about the ax being laid to the root of the trees and yeah. Jesus coming to separate the, the chaff. Yeah. That's right. So, so how does that go together? How is it that St. John the Baptist is a preacher of consolation? Yeah, so we he sets up Moses as the 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 law bringer. So now John has to be the 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 bringer of the consolation. Um, what do we see from John that that brings comfort to those tormented by their sin, those that are cursed? We know he's preaching a message of repentance. He's baptizing people in repentance, 
And Mark even says, says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And here comes the good part for the forgiveness of sins. That's Mark 1, 4. Forgiveness is a pretty comforting thought in the face of condemnation. So John's ultimate message of, of comfort or peace, there's, there's an Advent theme for you, right? Would be his clear confession that the one who will bring about this forgiveness is the Christ is Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. And he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's John one twenty nine. That I think is the, the ultimate consolation that we're anticipating the advent of this time of year. Yeah, it's, it's amazing as we've been going through these Advent hymns, just how often that, that proclamation from John shows up in the Advent hymns that Jesus is... Yeah the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there, there is such comfort in that simple, simple sermon from John. And so it, it's right that it shows up over and over again in our hymnody and that we would know John the Baptist, not only as the fiery preacher of repentance. I mean, and certainly we need to listen to that preaching of repentance. Yes. yes. But we, we need, and that's uh, again, what I, what I love about this hymn is stanza four is going to bring that out. We need to listen to that preaching. Uh, we yeah. need to listen to the preaching of repentance with faith in Christ, the one who comes yes. to take away our sin. Yes. The rep repentance produces that, right? It, it brings about, uh, it shows the faith. And so turning away from our sin and turning towards God shows that the faith is, is taking hold and we're able to, to live in that consolation. Right. And, and just, I mean, you know, calling John the Baptist a, a preacher of consolation and comfort is a reminder that the comfort that God gives to us by the preaching of his word is so much greater than any comfort the world can offer. You know, we're, when we talk about yeah. comfort in church, we're not talking about you, you leave feeling good. Now, hopefully the gospel does make us feel good, but it's, <laughs> you know, but it's not, it's not just yeah. about those good feelings. It's right. about the truth of, and then that includes the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And I, yeah. that's, I mean, that's, I just love this about that, that note, John the Baptist is a preacher of consolation. Yeah. So he, he points us to Christ. That's why he is this preacher of consolation. And that's where the rest of this hymn stanza takes us. So with true forerunners zeal, the greater one he named and him as yet unknown as savior, he proclaimed. That's how this stanza ends. And I will, I'll say it's yeah. helpful if you're, if you're looking at this hymn in Lutheran service book, pay attention to which of the he's or hymns are capitalized and which ones aren't, because yeah. that will help you distinguish within this stanza, which ones are referring to John and which ones are referring to Jesus. So take us into these last two lines. Yeah. So in your right to point out the distinction there between the he's and the hymns, because it, it, ties right in with John not talking about himself. He's pointing to somebody greater, right? He's his, his whole task, his whole reason for, for doing what he does is not to elevate himself in any way, but instead to show everybody that there is the promised one coming. The Messiah is here. He is coming. He is on the scene. The, the Lord is come. The kingdom is at hand. It's, it's alluding to, um, that that lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. And the confession is right there, alluded, alluded to in this hymn, in, in this stanza, and we'll see it very clearly by, before the hymn's done. Um, and and, and it, it brings to my mind immediately 
all of those confessions that we know from John, right? He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry in Matthew. And then in John, he, he changes it a little bit, but it says, among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And his whole ministry seems to be the fulfilling of a role of proclaiming the coming of Christ and preparing the people for it. Uh, and so what a better place to, to put this motif of his ministry, the, the pointing to that mighty one, that greater one, than in that Advent season when we're waiting in anticipation with bated breath for the arrival of the Lord. And, and John is doing that uh, through his whole ministry. You're right. And so this stand focuses especially on his ministry in the wilderness when he's baptizing yeah. in the Jordan River. Those texts that we're very familiar with from the Advent season, as you, you pointed out, those two texts from Matthew and from John both. And the other Gospels also record the preaching of John, that he is pointing to the one who comes after him, the mightier yes. one, who, as, as he says there in John 1, you know, he's not known to you yet, but John's purpose <laughs> in coming out is so that you would know who he is. That's, that is why John is here as the forerunner of the Christ. He has that zeal in preaching. No doubt that is current, very easily seen in the text of the gospels that he is very zealous to proclaim Jesus Christ, the savior, the greater one. That is the one to whom John points. And we're going to see that ministry of John the Baptist continue in this hymn. This first stanza has given us some of his adult ministry. Stanza two yeah. is going to take us into his, his infant ministry but we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We are looking at hymn number 346 in Lutheran Service Book, When All the World Was Cursed, with Pastor Rick Jones as our guest this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, December 12th. We're studying the hymn, When All the World Was Cursed, number 346 in Lutheran Service Book. Today, our guest is Pastor Rick Jones. He serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, prior to the break, we looked at stanza one, which describes St. John the Baptist as the forerunner, the one testifying to the greater one, the one who came after him, Jesus Christ. Stanza two continues to tell us how John did that, 
but also inter- introduces the context of his nativity, his birth, and all yeah. that that narrative that we get in Luke chapter one, which, as we were saying earlier, that's when this hymn is often suggested is around the nativity of St. John the Baptist. So stanza two. Before he yet was born, he leaped in joyful meeting, confessing him as Lord whose mother he was greeting. By Jordan's rolling stream, a new Elijah bold, he testified of him of whom the prophets told. That is stanza two of the hymn, when all the world was cursed. So those first two lines, Pastor Jones, that is describing the the narrative from Luke chapter one. It sounds like this is the the real connection to the nativity of John the Baptist. What do we see in those first two lines of the stanza? Yeah, so it can, as the hymn continues to explain John's role in the advent of the Messiah, right away we we get the reference to Mary's uh, visit of her cousin Elizabeth when both women are miraculously pregnant, right? Elizabeth for being thought barren or you know well beyond the years of of conception, and now Mary with the the virgin. Uh, conception or, or virgin birth that's going to happen. Um, so both of them miraculously pregnant, God working in all of this. And we see the familiar account of as soon as, you know, Mary is there, um, the account from, from Luke shows the prenatal prophet leaping for joy. Uh, and again, another Advent theme there, that, that joy in the presence of the prenatal savior within Mary's womb. And just a, a beautiful account. And we often Think of this one um, for when we're talking about John, and I think sometimes we, we put it too specifically to him. John is a fantastic example of, of a faithful life and, and, and a faithful witness and what he, he did in the plan for the coming of the Savior. But it also just reveals uh, some things about the nature of faith to us. If an unborn child can have faith, then salvation is clearly not a work even of intellect, right? It's not about knowing the right things. It is simply about unrestrained trust. And so I think this this account, the hymn alluding to the scriptural account, right? The scriptural account um, points us to the true power of the proclaimed word. It, it shows us how the word penetrates our lives, uh, where even in pre-born John can have interaction um, with the word. So where would that happen? It would have happened when he's hearing his parents speak in, 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 uh, in about these promises from God. It would have happened when he's in synagogue and he's hearing the, the word read and, and proclaimed those promises from the Old Testament. And yet even hearing just those Old Testament prophecies in this way, the word moves this child to such an incredible uh, joy that he's able to leap in his mother's womb. I think that's an incredible testimony to the power of God's word, uh, something that we can all take comfort in as we deal with, um, you know, those those devastating questions in life with um, the preborn and, and, and things like that. The, the word has the power, uh, and that's what we're celebrating this year, the arrival of that word to fulfill all of those promises that, that God has, has made to us throughout the millennia. Yeah, I, I have, I've always thought that the account in Luke 1 of the visitation where Mary goes to see yeah. Elizabeth and, and John leaps is such a, a wonderful encouragement for all mothers with children to, yeah. to go ahead and, and, you know, I mean, go to church with your with your baby and read the word of God <laughs> to your to your child already and, and know yeah. that the, the word is being heard. And, and yeah, what a wonderful example of, of John hearing that word and believing it. And as you said, that that very important point 
that that this means that faith is not a work of our will that that you know it's not our decision right. but this is god's word working on us to create that faith and that's already evident in in john the baptist mm -hmm. such that even before he's born he's already being the forerunner of the christ and you know pointing to him yeah. as the as the one who is the lord yeah and and I yeah. and again I, I understand John has a very special place in God's plan here, uh, but he's still only human, right? And I think we we have to be careful not to. Sometimes we we put almost superhero blinders on for some of the saints and the prophets and things like that. But um, they're in the same boat as us. They're they're they struggle with the curse, uh, and they are blessed with faith. And so we we look to them. Uh, as examples, as models. And John, I think here provides a, a beautiful one. Mm, right. And I, I think we can, we can confess both things, you know, that, that John yes, absolutely. He, he plays that special role according to God's grace, you know, in the role in salvation history. And, you know, we don't, we don't deny that by any means at the same time, recognizing that the way in which God worked through in John is not different than the way that he works in us still. I mean, exactly. I'm, you know, yeah. in, in Luke chapter one, Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Yeah. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, so sure, you know, this is something that is happening that's unique in one sense, right? I mean, because Jesus is there as, you know, in the, the womb of the virgin. So in, in the one yep. sense, this is a unique event. On the other hand, every time the word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is at work creating faith in his people, winning where he pleases. Yes. yes. And so, yeah, I mean, we've got both things going on at the same time. Yep. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, okay. So the first two lines of that stanza talk about that nativity of John the Baptist and, and really pre-nativity event, the visitation. Yeah, yeah. And then we go back to the Jordan River. So we fast forward again, like the Gospels do, to his ministry uh, of repentance and forgiveness of sin. So here we get, by Jordan's rolling stream, a new Elijah bold, he hmm. testified of him of whom the prophets told. So what's what are we hearing about in these last two lines of that stanza? Yeah, so the hymn's going on to describe John's ministry specifically at the Jordan, uh, as well as to identify him not just as any prophet, but specifically as the return of Elijah. The, the hymn tells us this is a, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Right? In Isaiah 40, um, verse 3, we see the, the voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And Matthew 11, uh, 10 cites Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And we also get a specific tie to Elijah from Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. So we, we, we see this being tied in specifically to John. John, not just uh, providing baptism for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, but also tying him very personally to the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament prophet Elijah himself, who was known, you know, as as the mighty, fiery prophet who who stood against so much. And here we have John sort of doing the same thing in the wilderness, um, described kind of uh, eccentrically, right, uh, with his his camel hair garments and eating locusts and wild honey and things but standing against the the established uh, authorities in the way he is proclaiming God's message in the same way that Elijah did. Um, 
and so that's that's kind of what's going on here. I, what something I've always thought was interesting about that that uh, a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The New Testament reference to that voice preparing the way is specifically cited from the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Old Testament, because in the the Old Test, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Masoretic text that we are shown and taught to study as we're becoming pastors, the, the citation there actually refers not to the voice being in the wilderness, but rather the wilderness is the place where the way is being prepared. Now, ultimately, I think it's, it's, it's both and, right? Uh, we we yeah. prepare a way in the wilderness, and the voice is also calling from that wilderness. So it can go both ways, but it's just interesting the grammar works out that the the Greek New Testament is citing the Greek Old Testament um, in, a, in a slightly different way. It's just interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So then the other, I mean, we talk a little bit more about the Elijah bold part. Yeah, this is yeah. something that Jesus identifies John as Elijah pretty clearly in a couple of places. What What's yeah. going on there? Well, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting. Uh, so Elijah, again, the stand-in for the prophets themselves, just as we talked about before with Moses being the stand-in for the law and representing the giving of the law. Elijah is the stand-in for the bringing of, or the, the proclamation of, of the fulfillment of God's promises that the Messiah will come. And so by making John that um, representative, we're, we're tying him very specifically to, to that Old Testament work. But I think it's it's interesting if we look at John and what he's doing, we get a, a glimpse into the real humanity of who he is um, versus the divine nature of, of Jesus. Because if we look at the Gospel of John, John the Baptist tells the people coming out to him that he's not Elijah. Right? He says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not are you the prophet? And he answered, no. John doesn't see himself as the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Jesus does, though, as you said, several places. Uh, but in Matthew 11, um, I think it's 11 through 14, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So the prophet does not recognize his own position fully. He knows he's, he's proclaiming that the, the Savior is coming. Even though he understands who Jesus is and he, and he proclaims that message, it takes the promised one himself to reveal the truth about who John is or the, the, the position he is fulfilling in God's plan for salvation, which I think, again, just fascinating. Again, going back to sort of uh, John has a very important role to play, but he's going through it in the very ordinary means that God uses for all of his people. Yeah, we're, we're going to we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John in the new year. And that text sure. from John one, where where John says he's asked, you know, are you Elijah? And he says, no, there there is some there, that's an interesting text. And there's a couple of ways to, to think about it. One, like you said, is that uh, is that, you know, G, it's one thing for Jesus to say he's that John's Elijah. <laughs> it's another thing for John to say it. Right. And so that. Yes. I, yes. I appreciate the way you brought that out. There's other ways that have uh, 
the Christians have thought through that in the past. And so stay tuned. If the Lord does not return before <laughs> January of 2023, we will get to talk about that text in, in greater detail. So appreciate you bringing that out now, too, though, because this is an important part of, of who John is as Elijah, who is yeah. to come. Jesus identifies him as such. So let's move on to stanza three. Here, here is, as you mentioned, this is what stanza one was setting up. When all the yeah. world was cursed, now we hear the good news. Stanza three, behold the lamb of God that bears the world's transgression, whose sacrifice removes the devil's dread oppression. Behold the lamb of God who takes away our sin, who for our peace and joy will full atonement win. That is stanza three of our hymn. So here we have John's most famous sermon, behold the lamb of God that bears the world's transgression. As, and as you said, Pastor Jones, this is the solution to the problem that was laid out in stanza one. Take us into stanza three. Yeah, so in the third stanza, we are now given the message that John is proclaiming. Uh, it uses the title for Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, really interesting, but this is the only place in Scripture that this specific description is used for Jesus. Yes, in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 7, the suffering servant is compared to a lamb prepared to be slaughtered. And in Revelation 5, 9, he is the lamb who was slain. In Revelation 12, 11, the heavenly war against Satan is won by the blood of the lamb. And in Revelation 22, verse 1, the son of God is referred to as the lamb having a throne next to God the Father. But John the Baptist is the only one who describes Jesus clearly as the lamb that directly takes away the world's sin. Or as our... our him writer, Olerius's phrase, he is the one who removes the curse of Moses' condemnation. Um, it's, it's incredible. We, we see it very clearly here, understanding not just the role of bringing forgiveness and bringing about the fulfillment, but how that's going to be done as the perfect lamb, the sacrifice that's going to, by its blood, bring about salvation. So tying us back to even the Exodus, right, the Passover event, uh, alluded to with this description of, of who the Messiah is. That's an incredible thing. Um, very clear proclamation. It's overcoming the not just the transgression, uh, but the sacrifice that takes away the devil's power. It's it's beautiful and it's it's striking. After we've talked about sort of that you know infant scene, and now we get this incredible proclamation of what that infant is going to be. Uh, doing not infant yeah, John, well, obviously John, that, even the infant confessing the other infant is going to grow up and do these things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The confessing him, the capital H yeah. there in stanza two, that's Jesus infant, John confessing infant Jesus as Lord stanza three tells us what did Jesus grow to do? Here it is to be the lamb of God. And that, that second line in the stanza whose sacrifice removes the devil's dread oppression. I yeah. mean, that brings to mind what you were talking about earlier with you know, Moses condemnation, that yep. is the law. And yet we know that the, the curse came all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Well, here with the, the sacrifice of the lamb of God, removing the devil's dread oppression, that, that reminds me of Genesis three as well, that the, the yeah. offspring of Eve comes to crush the devil's head. And so, yeah. yeah, maybe both things are in view here, especially as we get into this third stanza now. Yeah. And there's, um, well, we also have a shift in the way the, the hymn is working here, too. We get sort of a narrative in the first two stanzas. But now in this stanza, 
it's it's changing direction. It's actually proclaiming the message itself. And so it preaches, the, the hymn itself is preaching the good news of Jesus. It puts John's message, John's proclamation on the lips of those that are singing it. It shows us that Jesus is the sacrifice that reconciles us with God. And when we sing this hymn, we proclaim to ourselves and to all here that all who hear it, that Jesus removes sin and provides atonement, which then gives us the peace and joy that is brought to earth by the Christ child as that fourth line shows us. And again, right, that's that's the Advent season. Those are the themes of Advent, the peace and joy that this is going to bring to our lives. Mm. I'm glad you brought out the transition in this stanza because I don't know that I would have noticed it otherwise. But the you know yeah. in in the first line you've got behold the Lamb of God that bears the world's transgression, but then in the third line it's behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, this isn't just a you know and, and stanzas one and two are a lot of of historical reality, which is is very important for Christian praise that we would recite the things that God has done. That is a part of our praise. But by the time you get to stanza three, now you see the the for you nature yes. of our faith, that this isn't yes. just a, a history lesson, but it actually happened for you. And now we're saying, hey, this is for us, for our peace and joy as well. Yep. I, I turns it into not just a proclamation, but a confession. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin that gives us peace and joy and wins full atonement for us. That brings us now to stanza four of hymn 346. Again, the, the one that we, we read earlier toward the beginning, there was an omitted one in, in the Lutheran hymnal that goes between these two stanzas. As we continue in Lutheran service book, here is stanza four. O grant, dear Lord of love, that we receive rejoicing the word proclaimed by John, our true repentance voicing, that gladly we may walk upon our Savior's way until we live with him in his eternal day. That is the final stanza of the hymn, When All the World Was Cursed, number 346 in Lutheran Service Book. All right, so, so Pastor Jones, you're talking about the transition throughout this hymn, what's the transition yeah. that now happens in stanza four? Yeah, so the voice uh, moves again. It moves for the final time. We started with the historical description of man's plight and John's role as the forerunner of God's promised deliverer. And then it turned into that proclamation of what the Christ will do for us and sort of the con us confessing that. And now the hymn becomes a prayer of the faithful. In this stanza, we conclude the song by asking for God's assistance in faithfully receiving his salvation. We ask to be counted among those who would go out to receive John's baptism of repentance. Essentially, we are asking to live faithful lives, humbly aware of our sin and grateful for God's forgiveness. We also ask for God to sanctify us, that is, that we would continue to live our lives in the love of Christ. Uh, that's what it means to walk upon the Savior's way we, we live our lives in faith, uh, and we conduct ourselves then in response to that faith, in response to God's grace with that same grace and mercy that he treats us, we, we bring to others. 
And then finally, the prayer asks that God would sustain us in this faithful living until he welcomes us into his eternal heavenly kingdom. So we end the hymn asking for the final fulfillment of God's will, an eternal reunion and restoration with us as God's people living with him in his heavenly kingdom. It's, it's, uh, we've gone from historical description to proclamation of the promise to now a prayer, having faithfully proclaimed it, right, or received the proclamation, now praying for it to be manifested in our lives. I really appreciate the way that this hymn closes with this prayer, and it really struck me, not this past Sunday, but the, the previous one on the second Sunday in Advent, in the, mm -hmm. the sermon that morning, I, I preached about John and his preaching of repentance, and and part of the my thought in the sermon was that you know John went preaching to Israel. He wasn't mm -hmm. preaching to the Gentiles. He wasn't preaching to pagans. Certainly, all of those people need the preaching of repentance, but John was preaching to Israel. And yeah. he even singled out particularly the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they came to him as those who were most in need of repentance. Yeah. And so yeah. part of part of my reflection for that sermon was, you know, John's preaching of repentance isn't just for the world out there. It's for us as Christians. And it's it's easy for us to to say, well, you know, I'm just going to put that preaching off in, in whatever mm -hmm. way I'm, I'm going to put it off, whether by saying it's for someone else or thinking I it's for me. But but maybe later or, or it's not completely for me. Somehow I'm going to preach it off or, or put it off. And and I, I appreciate this. We sang this hymn that Sunday. And this last stanza really stood out to me that this is this is the prayer that we should pray when we hear the preaching of John and really the preaching of any preacher of repentance. So your pastor yeah. today, this is how we should receive it. Grant, Lord, that I would listen to this, that I would repent of my sins, and that I would believe in Christ yeah. for the rest of my life. You know, I mean, that's yeah. what, a, what a fantastic prayer to end this hymn with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it is a beautiful example of what uh, of how we we respond to those gifts that God provides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So what a what a wonderful hymn. Again, don't be don't be fooled by the title, <laughs> right? but but go all the way through it and and listen to the words, sing the words with the joy, the peace of Advent. And, and just one more, before we kind of start to wrap up, I, I think it's, yeah. it's worth pointing out, when we've talked about John in other, in other hymns, it's, yeah. it's been a little less specific to John. I mean, the last two hymns, on Jordan's Bank, the Baptist Cry, that one mentions him pretty plainly, but it moves, mm -hmm. it moves you know, broader than John. And then 345, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding, also certainly references John, but it doesn't mention him as specifically. Here we've got one that, you know, in other hymnals, shows up with his name at the top. This is for the Nativity yeah. of St. John the Baptist. But I think it's, it's important to remember that when it says, you know, that we receive rejoicing the word proclaimed by John, also substitute in your pastor there, right? Or, or anyone who would proclaim this word of repentance to you. Again, this isn't just a historical thing. But this word is still proclaimed today in the church to be yeah. heard, to be and, and believed. Yeah. Anyone who's fulfilling that role of, of faithfully preaching God's promises to the people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, Pastor Jones, we've got about three minutes here on the morning. Again, you said this is a hymn that you hadn't really 
heard much or, or sung yeah. before uh, with with three minutes help us to wrap this hymn up uh, bring us bring us to a close Sure. So when all the world was cursed uh, presents us with a worshipful experience. It's not only instructional on the person and work of John the Baptist, who, as we've said, is a blessed example of faithfulness, but it also preaches that message of preparation for Christ's arrival and then provides its singers with a prayer for God's continued provision in the faith here on earth and eternally in the heavenly kingdom. So it's obviously a, a good selection if you're focusing on the person and message of John the Baptist, but it's themes of anticipation of the Christ, the atonement brought in the sacrifice of Christ and the consolation that this brings to our lives absolutely makes this hymn a great candidate for the Advent season. Our anticipation of the birth of Jesus is the anticipation of God delivering his people or his peace to the people uh, on this cursed world. So likewise, what greater joy can we hope to experience than God exercising his divine love by removing the burden of sin from us and bearing it himself? So these are the things that this hymn brings out. Absolutely the themes of hope peace, joy, and love that this season is all about. And it points us to what we are anticipating. That is Christ and his work of reconciliation on our behalf. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic hymn that even though all the world was cursed, yeah. Jesus came as the Lamb of God who bears all the world's transgression. He carries it away. And again, that is the, the message that John ultimately has for us. Certainly, he preaches repentance and he preaches it sharply. That is meant to prepare the way for Jesus so that we would hear him in repentance and recognize that our only hope is to have him carry our sins away so that we may walk, as it says, upon our Savior's way. Pastor yeah. Rick Jones is pastor and chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota helping us today with hymn number 346 in Lutheran service book, When All the World Was Cursed. Pastor Jones, thanks for helping us with this hymn today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Always a joy. St. John the Baptist is a preacher of consolation. He has good news for you and for me, dear Christians. He proclaims that our sin takes us the wrong way, that we need to turn around, that we need to turn from that crooked path that our sin lays for us and turn toward Christ. And that word brings us to that turn. Just as that word created faith in the unborn John inside of his mother's womb, so that word creates faith in you and me to turn from our sin and to look to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the one who bears our sin away, who carries us upon his way now until we live with him forever. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Tim Apple of Grace of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you'd like to let us know what your favorite Advent hymn is, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always enjoy hearing from you. Thank you for spending the morning with us. Talk again tomorrow.